Welcome to the You Are the Current Resident podcast, the official podcast of the National Association of Letter Carriers, a union that represents 280,000 active and retired city letter carriers employed by the United States Postal Service. My name is Brian Renfro, and I'm the president of NALC. Today, I'm alone for this episode, but in the future, we plan to have a consistent co-host and also some guests, and we'll talk a little more about that at the end. First, I want to welcome you all back to the podcast. This is something we started back in 2019, and as we all know, the pandemic hit in 2020 in March, and it transformed into a COVID-related podcast. If those of you that were letter carriers back around that time will remember a lot of the uncertainty that was there from day to day, and we used the podcast at that time as a platform to get out information to you. And we're happy now, even though it's been a few years, to be back and intend on producing this podcast on a regular basis to keep everyone informed of what's going on. Before I get into the meat of what we want to discuss today, I first want to remind you that our monthly magazine, The Postal Record, we have audio versions of all the articles and officers' columns there. You can find those by going to any podcast provider and just search for NALC Postal Record, and that'll make it easier for you to find. And going forward, we plan to start putting those audio versions in the feed where you found this podcast. So you'll be able to access everything that comes officially from NALC at the national level in one podcast feed. To start with, though, I want to talk a little news. What's at top of mind for me, and I'm sure our members that are listening are collective bargaining. That's a process that we began officially back in February, and it continues as we're here in the middle towards the end of July. Just an update on the time frame of what's going on. Our contract expired in May. By law, there is a 60-day mediation period that follows that negotiation period. That period ended on July the 19th. We used that period to continue negotiations, and I can tell you from our perspective and share with you that from our counterparts, the Postal Service, their negotiators, from their perspective, we both feel like we still have very good prospects for reaching a tentative agreement. So we've continued to negotiate. We will continue to negotiate even as we begin to move into the next step of the process. The next step of the process in the event we are not able to reach an agreement would be an interest arbitration proceeding. And the first step there is for us to select a neutral arbitrator that would chair a three-person panel that would set the terms of our next collective bargaining agreement. That three-person panel is made up of an arbitrator appointed by the union, an arbitrator appointed by the Postal Service, and then a neutral arbitrator that we will jointly select. So we have not gotten to the point of selecting an arbitrator yet. If we uh, still do not have an agreement here in the reasonably near future, that'll be the step that, that we move towards. So once we select that arbitrator, we would then begin scheduling the hearings that would take place. Our preparation, speaking just internal for the Union for Interest Arbitration, is something that's been ongoing for months and months and months. We're in a very good position in the event we end up having to go that direction to set the terms of our agreement. We feel really good about the preparation that's been done. However, even as we go through that process, as long as the prospects remain where we believe we have a good chance to reach a tentative agreement, we will remain at the bargaining table as long as it takes to eventually achieve an agreement that we believe rewards letter carriers for our contribution for the Postal Service and is worthy of sending out to our members for ratification. For future updates, just keep an eye on the website, certainly in your postal record, the NALC bulletin that you see in your stations, and definitely in the future on this podcast feed. So today, the main topic I want to cover is something that we get a number of questions about, 
and it has to do with the landmark Postal Reform Act that was signed into law by President Biden last spring. And there's one specific section of that law that uh, makes some significant changes that are beneficial not just to the Postal Service, but also to us. And that is changes that integrate Medicare at a higher percentage for postal retirees and their health care. But before we get into the specifics on that, I just want to quickly recap this bill and the three main things that it accomplished that are really beneficial long-term to the Postal Service and therefore to the union and to letter carriers that work for the Postal Service. Those three main changes are as follows. Number one, this legislation made six-day delivery a permanent part of the law. So until this bill passed since 1983 on a yearly basis, we have had to fight to maintain that six-day mandate for mail delivery. That is no longer the case. That is now a permanent part of the law. Number two is this repealed a 2006 mandate for the Postal Service to pre-fund health benefits for retirees decades in advance. This is a result of a 2006 bill called the Postal Accountability and Enhancement Act, where the Postal Service was required to pay anywhere in the neighborhood of 5 to $6 billion a year for health benefits for, in some cases, people that are not even born yet, many decades in advance. This is a mandate that no other government agency, no other private company has. And as we look back over the last now 12, 13 years, it's still responsible for the vast majority of money that the Postal Service has lost. So that mandate is now gone as a result of this bill. And the third thing it did is what I mentioned earlier is that it integrated Medicare with postal retirees and their health care at a much higher percentage. And we'll get into the specifics of that and most importantly, what that will mean for every active and retired postal employee as we move into 2024 and we have this legislation implemented. First, uh, we will want to educate you here, but this will not be the last time you hear about this. You will read about it. You will get things in the mail from the union. You'll hear stuff from the Postal Service. We will do everything in our power to educate our members, but I think it's important that we begin with a basic understanding of what's going to take place how that will affect everyone in the action, maybe most importantly, that will be required of every active postal employee here in the future. So to understand Medicare integration, let's first be sure that we all understand what Medicare is. So Medicare is a system that the government provides that provides health care. Every employee, including all the letter carriers listening to this podcast, with every paycheck you've ever gotten, you've contributed money into the Medicare system, and it's available for you when you retire. And for the purposes of the conversation we're going to have today, we're going to talk about three different parts of Medicare. The first is Medicare Part A. Medicare Part A covers hospitalizations. There is no premium for Medicare Part A once you become eligible, and that is when you are age 65 and retired. Both of those things have to be true. More about that in a minute. The second is Medicare Part B. This covers medical expenses, doctor visits, and things like that. There is currently a monthly premium. I think that premium is in the neighborhood of a little over $170 a month currently. And the third piece that we'll talk about in the end is Medicare Part D, which deals with prescription drugs. So the first question is, what is the percentage of folks that utilize Medicare? And 80% of people do what I'm about to explain. 80% of postal retirees 
when they retire and they're age 65, they choose to enroll in Medicare Part A and Part B. The result there is they pay their premium for their health insurance plan in the federal program, hopefully the NALC plan because it's the best one. And they also pay for Medicare Part B, that $170 or so a month. The result is they then have no out-of-pocket medical expenses. Medicare becomes your primary payer. They pay their benefits, whatever is left. Your health insurance plan picks up and you have no out-of-pocket expenses for your medical care or hospitalization. And 80% of poster retirees already do that, but 20% do not. And remember, 100% of us have paid into this system our entire career. So what this legislation accomplishes is how to increase that percentage, because if you increase that percentage, you are shifting costs from the federal health insurance programs into the Medicare system that, once again, we already paid into, which will result in a positive impact on the premiums that are paid both by the Postal Service and by the retired, in our case, retired letter carrier. So when you're retired, your premium for your health insurance, 72% of it's paid by the Postal Service, 28% of it is paid by you, the postal retiree. So a positive impact on those premiums benefits the Postal Service financially long-term as well as us and the premiums that we pay. How are we going to increase that percentage? This is what the law does, and this is going to require action of some folks, so it's important that we gain that understanding. And for the purpose of this conversation, you will fall into one of two groups. So I want to be sure that if you're listening, you understand what group you're in, because that's a very, very important piece of what you'll be required to do, how you're impacted, or you're not impacted. If you're in what we'll call group one for the purpose of this conversation, you are someone that on January 1st, 2025, you are either retired, regardless of your age, or you are still active working for the Postal Service and you are age 64 or older. Again, on January 1st, 2025, if you are either retired, no matter your age, or you are active, still working for the Postal Service, but you are age 64 or older, you will fall into group number one. Group number two is those that are active, still working for the Postal Service, and on January 1st, 2025, they are under the age of 64. So if on January 1st, 2025, you are active, working for the Postal Service, and you are under the age of 64, you fall into group two, which also is everyone that is not in group one. First, let's start with group one and what the impact is. If you're in group one, there is no mandate that you do anything. So you do not have to enroll in anything you've not currently chose to enroll in. But you will have an opportunity for some of you that will allow you to enroll So the Medicare system is set up so that when you become eligible, and that's when you are both age 65 and retired, you have a period of time where you can enroll in Medicare Parts A and Part B. If you choose not to enroll, then with every year that passes, there is a 10% penalty on your premium that you pay. So let me just give an example that will illustrate this and hopefully illustrate the opportunity that will be there for a certain group of people. Let's say you retire when you're 64, you turn 65, you're now eligible for Medicare Parts A and Part B. 
Maybe you're someone that's pretty healthy and you don't incur a lot of medical costs, so you choose not to enroll and not pay that roughly $170 a month premium for Medicare Part B. Now let's fast forward 10 years. You're now 75 years old. You begin to have more health issues, need to see more doctors, you incur more medical expenses, and you at that point probably wish you had enrolled in Medicare Parts A and Part B, but due to there being that 10% penalty every year, it becomes unaffordable for you. Because in that case, 10% a year for 10 years is 100%, so your premium would be double what it otherwise would be. And that's a sizable percentage of that 20% of folks that do not or have not chosen to enroll in Medicare Parts A and Part B. What this legislation will do is in the spring of 2024, there will be a special open season for those folks that are retired and they are 65 or older and they have not enrolled in Medicare Parts A and Part B, they will be given a opportunity to enroll. They will also be able to not just enroll, but enroll and not have to pay that 10% penalty. The Postal Service will pay that penalty for the rest of your life. And the reason for that is it's cheaper for the Postal Service to pay that penalty and then get the benefits of having the higher percentage of folks in Medicare Parts A and Part B because of the impact it has on premiums, as I mentioned earlier. So there'll be more information about specific dates as we get closer. But if you're someone that is in that group where you are over 65, you're retired, you've not enrolled in Medicare, you will have an opportunity during a special open season next spring in 2024 where you can enroll pay your 170 or so dollar a month premium, and the Postal Service will pay that penalty. That'll be a one-time opportunity. If you're in that circumstance, then I encourage you to do your research and you know be prepared when that time comes, and we'll be sure again and get a lot of information out to you. Now let's move to Group 2 and what the bill requires of Group 2. So if you were in Group 2, which once again is people that on January 1st, 2025, you are still active, working for the Postal Service, and you're under age 64. When you retire and you are age 65, both of those things have to be true, you will be required to get Medicare Part B and Part A, but why wouldn't you? It has no premium to maintain your coverage in the Federal Employees Health Benefit Program. Going forward, everyone that when they reach age 65, if you're in Group 2 and you're retired, there will be a requirement for you to enroll in Medicare Parts A and Part B to maintain your federal health insurance coverage in retirement. However, there are two exceptions to that rule. Exception number one is if you live in a location where there are no Medicare providers, you will not be required to enroll. So, for example, if you live in another country where there's no Medicare providers, there will be a process where you can be exempted from that requirement. It's just a simple concept of it doesn't make sense to make people pay for something they can't use. The other exception are people that get their health insurance from another source. Most commonly, what we will see, particularly with letter carriers, are these are people that receive health care with something connected to military service. So there'll be a lot of interaction there with the VA. And then there are certainly those that through their significant other have health insurance provided. So those are the two exceptions. If you live somewhere with no Medicare provider, or if you get your health insurance from another source, you will not be required to enroll in Medicare 
part B in order to maintain your coverage. So let's talk about the mechanics of how this will work. And the way this will result in the savings is that for plan year 2025, that's the year that'll start at the beginning of January, that open season that happens in the, the fall of 2024, you would be enrolling or switching plans, whatever the case may be, for the, the coverage that you'll have in 2025. The plans that are in the Federal Employee Health Benefit Program, including the NALC High Option Plan, each of those plans will create identical plans that will be in a new Postal Service Health Benefits Program that will fall under the umbrella of the Federal Employees Health Benefit Program, but it'll be a subset within that program. The plans will be the same in terms of the benefits, but by separating them, what we have is a set of plans where postal folks only are enrolled these are people that will be required to enroll in Medicare Part B. So Medicare, compared to the rest of the federal government, the federal employees that are enrolled in the other plans, Medicare will take on a higher percentage of the cost, which should result in positive impacts on premiums there, which, as I said in the beginning here, benefits not just the Postal Service, but also benefits us in terms of controlling the cost of those premiums as we go forward, since we share the cost with them. And then once that's done, and that'll be done to be effective in 2025, during normal open season in the fall of 2024, every active and required postal employee will be required to switch from a plan in the Federal Employees Health Benefit Program to one of the plans in the new Postal Service Health Benefit Program that is a subset under that federal umbrella. For example, if you have the NALC high option plan, which if you don't, I highly recommend you do. It's the best coverage for the best cost among all the federal plans. You would simply then, during that open season, you would just switch to the NALC high option plan in the postal subset. The benefits will be the same as the one for the federal employees, at least initially. I mean, we could potentially down the road see some improvements in benefits because we're paying premiums that are lower and getting more value and that type thing. But initially, the plans will be identical. And then in 2024, you'll be required to swap over. So a natural question is, out of the hundreds of thousands, if not over a million postal employees that are both active and retired, I suspect there will be someone that will not switch over to a plan next fall during open season. That is one of the issues that is ongoing, and we're having conversations frequently with the Postal Service, with the folks from the Office of Personnel Management that will administer this to ensure that if someone doesn't make the switch, that they will be enrolled in the appropriate plan. So you can look for more information to come on that. The end result of all of this is that for the Postal Service long term, it results in tens of billions of dollars in savings in retiree health cost, which is a financial benefit to the service. It's a benefit to the job security of letter carriers and other postal employees, and it's definitely a benefit the long term to the financial stability of the Postal Service, which directly relates to the service that we provide to all of our customers. And that's about half the savings in this bill. The other half is something that you will not be required to do anything, but still involves Medicare. And that is the inclusion of the Postal Service through Medicare Part D in something called an employer group waiver plan. 
And I, I won't go too in-depth about this because, again, it's not something that requires any action by any of our members. But basically, it includes the Postal Service and the, the related health plans in a program that was designed to allow insurance companies that integrate Medicare to negotiate better prescription drug prices. We will be in a position, the Post Service has been exempted from this since the sometime in the mid-2000s. This will be an opportunity to better control the price of prescription drugs, and that will also result in savings in some premiums. So once again, this is not the last time you will hear about this. We will do mailings that will be specific to the, the circumstances of a lot of our members. We'll have this through all of our in the magazine. We'll have this on our website as we get closer to next year. You'll hear it through. I would expect we do another podcast on it when we get closer. So you'll, you'll kind of have to be living under a rock not to know about this. The education is important. And we just thought that as I travel around the country and see our members at different types of training and conventions and those kinds of things, this is something I always cover to give the leadership and our branches and our state associations the knowledge they need to answer some of the initial questions that come up from members. If you come up with any questions about this, in just a minute, I'm going to tell you about uh, our plans for future segments, and part of that will be a question and answer opportunity, so you'll have the opportunity to ask any questions that you want, and we'll do our best to answer them here. Speaking of future episodes, just to let you in a little bit on what we plan to do, I mentioned earlier that we'll have some other voices. You won't just hear me (laughs) all the time. We'll have guest co-hosts and likely some of our officers and staff here in the building, and even some guests maybe from outside the NALC and the larger labor movement, or or who knows. But we'll try to mix up a a variety of content and, and the voices that you hear to keep it fresh and entertaining for you. In the near future, we'll cover some really important topics that are happening right now. Two of those, particularly this summer, are Heat safety, which has been something that we've dealt with for a number of years, but increasingly dangerous hazard for us out there uh, on the street. And then what we're working on here to prevent crime that's taken place. We've seen a pretty dramatic increase in the number of attacks on letter carriers and robberies and, and violent crime. And unfortunately, due to, to both of these, we've had members that have lost their lives and heartbreaking. It's it's just appalling every time it happens. And it's a problem where we've got to take advantage of every avenue and opportunity we have to address it. So in future episodes, in the very near future, we'll get to uh, some of those issues. And then, of course, there's a variety of contractual issues related to our collective borrowing agreement and, and the work that you as letter carriers do every day that seems to be pretty constantly changing. And there's a ton of those issues out there that over time we'll get into. Thanks so much for listening. We're happy to be back with the uh, You Are the Current Resident podcast. Again, this is the official podcast of the National Association of Letter Carriers. If you would, please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And uh, we would appreciate it if you share with your NALC brothers and sisters and the, the letter cares that you work with every day. We do intend to have a question and answer segment where I'll be happy to answer some questions from NALC members. So if you have questions about what we talked about today or really anything else, feel free to email us. You can email us at social at NALC.org. That is social at NALC.org. You can follow NALC on our official social media accounts on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and we are new to threads. 
You can find links to all of those in the episode description of this podcast. And if you'd like, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, I am at Brian Renfro 19. So once again, if you have questions to submit or any other kind of feedback, please email us at social at NALC.org. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you.